0: Father God, it is such an honor to be in your house today, to be reminded of the gift of Jesus Christ, the fact that you humbled yourself, you left the glory, the beauty, the perfection of heaven, to come to earth, to be the perfect sacrifice for us, to make it possible to have a relationship with you, because you've taken care of our sins, and we can be with the Father forever. Father, we praise and we thank you for that. Father, help us today to be open and teachable to what you have for us. In your holy name we pray, amen.
1: he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were, were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. your prayers have been heard. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent. And not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. for, For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service had completed he returned home after this his wife elizabeth became pregnant and for 5 months remained in seclusion the lord has done this for me she said in the days in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people
0: thank you brandon i always like to speak after joe sings because regardless it's been a good sunday so uh, i appreciate that joe and the song that he sang, although he was singing it about Mary, could easily apply to Zechariah and Elizabeth because after the pronouncement from the angel and all, they're like, you know, what, what child is this? What is ahead for us? And don't worry, that's a lot of passages, okay? Normally that'd be about a three or four-part series. So I'm going to give you a reader's digest, a condensed version, so, so you're good. Uh, but one of the things that I find myself when I'm praising God in my prayer time I seem to always come back to praising him as creator. As I look around at people, as I look around just at plant life, as I look at animals, I'm just amazed at his creativity, his variety, the detail, the whole developmental process, the environment, the perfect environments that he places things in. It's just stunningly amazing to me. And so one of the things that I like to do is I like to watch people. And I don't mean I like to watch people in a mean way or a cruel or judgmental way because I know people are watching me, and they could find plenty to pick on. But I love to do that. So when we get opportunities to go places, sometimes there's places that are really good for watching and observing people. You know, things like Six Flags or Disney World. Now, normally if we go someplace like that, my wife is super... um, Obsessive-compulsive kind of personality. Everything is detailed. We know where we're going. She's got it mapped out. We're going to cover. We don't have to wait in lines. We're there. We know where we're going. Get out of our way. We're headed there. And I'm bad because I'll start watching people. And if I start watching people, I have to have one of those little bracelets, you know, that's attached to her because she'll be in Tomorrowland and I'm in Adventureland or something. So she's got to drag me along. But it's just fun to go and to see people. And you watch, you know, the parents with their little kid in the stroller. Look at my little one-year-old. Aren't you enjoying Disney World? See all this. And it's, it's, it's just fun to see, you know, that they've all, you know, somebody's gone in the gift shop and spent $300 on matching, you know, outfits. And, and you're good with that. Uh, and just seeing how people handle stress and people, you know, the joyous moments that they find to get. It, it's fun. I like to go to, to like, watch little kids play ball t-ball and stuff, and just watch the intensity, you know, on, on parents and how loving they are a lot of times towards the umpires and things like that, and uh, it's just, it, it's fun to watch. Uh, a great place to go and watch is at the beach, uh, you know, put because you can put your sunglasses on, and you can, you know, just really watch and observe. Now, people are always coming over to me and wanting to spray sunblock and stuff, you know, put a hat on my head and stuff, but it's just it's enjoyable because people—they don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm at the beach. I don't care what my body type is. I'm putting these speedos on and I'm walking down the beach. By God, now I'm putting on this two-piece bathing suit and I am at the beach. You don't like it, but it's fun to watch people. And in Scripture, God has given us people to watch. He's given us stories to listen to. And the reason I put Zach and Liz is not to be disrespectful. But because I believe the more comfortable you are, the more you know somebody, the more intimate you are, you get permission to use those kind of nicknames. Uh, if you do that sometimes in a class at school, if you know some teacher had a nickname from high school and you call them by that, you know, it probably doesn't work out real well. But if you know somebody and they kind of give you permission, and so I was trying to, uh, I guess, project to you the importance of us being very familiar With people in the Bible. Colossians 3 talks about letting the Word of God dwell in us richly so it comes out in every word and deed that we do. And so this is just one couple that I think it's important for us. It's easy to gloss over the story, get right into the Mary and the Christmas stuff, and miss what God's trying to show us by just watching these people. And it's a reminder to us that God's placed all kinds of people around you that He wants you to watch family members friends, co-workers, spiritual mentors, people that you can learn from if we just slow down and watch and listen. Now, yes, there's some with a wire loose, some that need an overhaul there, but you can learn from those uh, people as well. So I want to give you just a quick condensed version here, a few things about Zachariah and Elizabeth. First of all, what do we know about them? What do we know about them? Now there's four things up here. I'm going to skip to the last one first. They were descendants of Aaron. The significance of this, if you were a descendant of Aaron, you were a priest. It's not like today, you know, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry. If you were a descendant of Aaron, you were in the priesthood. That meant there were a whole bunch of priests. Uh, it is estimated at this time there was 20000 plus priests, and there's one temple. And so there so not only was Zachariah a descendant of Abraham, but Elizabeth, I mean of Aaron, but Elizabeth was as well. And if you were a priest, you were supposed to marry a virgin Israelite uh, person, but if you could marry someone of priestly lineage, that was considered a double blessing. So they were. So we know that. They were descendants of Aaron. We also knew know that they didn't have a child. And this was a big deal in this society. There were two things that's mentioned that someone was considered excommunicated by God for, and one was to be a Jew with no wife. The other was to be a Jew with a wife but no children. You were considered to be in disfavor with God. God was somehow upset, displeased. It was actually grounds for divorce at this time. You would possibly, you know, people would think you've committed some sin. So here's two people of priestly lineage that have no child, so you can imagine the gossip, the talk, the innuendos that went on. You know, they must have really done something big time here and messed up. And that's something that they had to deal with for a long time. The other thing we see is it says they were righteous in the sight of God. Although in the, right, in the eyes of people, because of no child, they might not have been considered righteous. But in the eyes of God, the one who knew them uh, intimately They were considered righteous, and we'll look at that in just a a minute, a little more. So we know they didn't have a child, and we also know they were advanced in years. We know they're advanced in years because it talks about Elizabeth being past the point of childbirth, so she was probably past uh, menopause at this point. So they were were older, no child, priestly lineage, but they were righteous in the sight of God. So just a little bit into this story. Now, as we mentioned, he's in the priesthood. There's about 20,000 priests. There are 24 divisions of the priesthood. When they were dispersed uh, to different places and then allowed to come back, it's considered only four divisions came back. But they redivided these four divisions into 24, gave them the old names. Now, what's significant about that? Well, what's significant about that is there are only three times, I mentioned there's about 20,000 priests, only three times a year did they all come and serve. That was at Passover, at Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Otherwise, the priests serve two times a year. Okay, that, that group, that one group of that 24, which was made up probably between 800 and a little over 1,000 priests, they would serve two times a year for one week period. So two one-week periods a year that they would come in and they would serve. And whatever they did was determined by lots. Now, you've got to obviously come up with a lot of jobs. You know, the utensils, I don't know if everybody, you, you know, we're polishing, everybody gets one utensil and you polish it. I don't know if they came up with, you know, parking lot attendants for the camels, that they had a security team, uh, you know, greeters at the doors. You know, they just, you know, I'm sure somebody drew extended session. But there were a lot of things going on with the priest during this period. And one priest got to go into the holy place. I think there's a, a drawing of the temple Uh, that you can see it. But the Holy of Holies was just entered into once a year. But the holy place, the the priest went into, and I may not have emailed it to him with me, who knows. Uh, But anyway, here's the temple. Here's the Holy of Holies here. I'm sure you're getting a real good picture of this. Right here, okay, this is the holy place that the priest could enter into, and one would go in, and he would offer a sacrifice. And the thing is, in your lifetime, you might not ever get to be the priest to do that. Because, again, your number had to be drawn out. It was only in these two one-week periods. Twice a day, the priests would go in, and they would offer these once before the morning, once before the afternoon sacrifice. And, of course, new little priests are coming along. You know what? Tom's replaced, so the numbers are growing. So you might ever get drawn. So when his name got drawn to go in, it was a big deal. It probably also created a little bit of commotion. Like, you know, why is his name getting drawn? We know he's obviously done something. He doesn't have kids. But whatever, God will probably take him in there and kill him. Uh, But his name gets drawn out. It's a big deal that he gets to go into there and offer the sacrifice. Now, basically what there is, there's some coals outside. This is one of the, you know, priest's job. He stirs the coal. They put it in the censer. He goes in. He puts them on the altar of incense. And then there's this powdered incense that he puts over, and it gives up an aroma that's pleasing to the Lord. And so it is a big, big deal that you get to go in there. And after he does that, you fall down, you make intercession for the people, probably playing that, you know, for the restoration of Israel, for people's hearts to be turned back to God. You fell prostrate down, and then you backed out of there. And when you got out of there, you went out you gave a blessing to the people, and then all the priests together did the benediction and held hands and then went to a potluck meal. But... So he gets uh, called in and something happens in there and he gets delayed. Now I'm sure the people are out there going, yeah, we said we knew something was going to happen. God's in there killing him. We're going to have to go drag him out with a stick or something. But he gets delayed. The reason he gets delayed, as you know, is the angel Gabriel appears to him. We get two angels named in the Bible, Michael, the protector of Israel, and Gabriel who was often given messages, brought the message uh, to Mary about the birth of her son. So The angel Gabriel says, Your prayers have been heard, and you're going to have a son. Now, more than likely, when it says his prayers have been heard, he was not in there praying for a son. Again, he was in there praying for Israel. But God knows our heart. You know, it mentions a a couple of times uh, in Psalms. That it says, in Psalms 94, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. In Psalms 139, you know when I sit, when I rise, you know my thoughts. Romans 8:26, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. He knew Zachariah's heart, and Zachariah's heart was he wanted a son so bad. Now, in Zachariah's mind, he's probably made up a way that that's going to happen. Maybe a, a Samuel-Eli situation, where somebody's going to come and give a son and dedicate it, and he's going to get to raise it. Maybe it's an adoptive and an orphan situation. He's not thinking about it in the way that it's about to happen. But he's given the message, you're going to have a son. And he's given a whole lot of, this son's going to do some great things. He's going to turn the hearts of the people. He's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he's taken all this in. And you know his response is he doubts. Give me a sign. Let's make sure that that happens. Well, didn't Mary doubt a little bit? Didn't she ask? No, if you look at Mary, Mary just said, how's this going to happen? I believe it's going to happen. Just give me the detail. Give me the plans. Where Zachariah is doubting, if I'm going to go out and tell all these people I'm about to have a kid, I need something to be able to show them. Well, he gets a sign all right. You know, he's muted. So he goes out in front of the people. They realize he's seen a vision by his appearance, by his expression, by the fact that he can't talk. And uh, somewhere along the way, he convinces uh, his wife Elizabeth that they're going to have a child. You know, I guess he puts on some... Some Michael Buble, or how you say his name, or some Barry White for your older folks. Takes her out to the original uh, Olive Garden, you know, puts his groove on. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, down the road, there's a a child that's born. And so, he convinces, you know, that he has to raise him uh, in a certain way. And so, that's kind of the condensed story. There's other things that we see. We see, you know, about uh, Mary coming and visiting Elizabeth and how little John jumps for joy uh, inside of her when, when they hear the voice of Mary. When Zechariah, when the baby is born, you know, we see there about, um, they ask what his name will be, and, and she's saying it's going to be John. Well, you don't have any Johns in your family. Why are you naming them John? He writes down John, then his mouth is open, and they have a big party, and they're all expressing. And then you see the song of Zechariah at the end of one. So there's great rejoicing that's going on. So that's kind of your reader's digest, convinced version. Well, if we watch them, what is it God wants us to learn from this story? What kind of things can we put in place in our lives by watching these guys? And I want to give you just a couple. One of them I want you to understand for you is God has a plan. God has a plan. There is a whole ton of verses. I don't know if he's got them all, but you can go Google it yourself at home. And if you look at those about Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, you will find droves and droves and droves of verses. This is the fulfillment of the first one of those prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, that a forerunner would come, that he would prepare the people's hearts and minds for the coming Messiah. And so this is fulfillment. So there was a plan. Even though Zachariah and Elizabeth went through hurt, they went through disappointment, they faithfully continued to serve. A lot of times they questioned, they didn't understand, but they trusted the fact that God had a plan for their life. And what every person in here needs to understand, regardless of your situation or your circumstances, why am I here, why am I facing this, why am I going through this, this doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair, God has a plan for your life. Your life is no accident. You were knit together in your mother's womb. God knew you before you were born. He knows your comings, your going. He knows the day you were born. He knows the day you're going to buy. He loves you. He cares you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Trust that. Embrace that in the midst of whatever you're facing or whatever you're going through. Live every day like that, that you wake up and not, oh, this is Wednesday. Let's get through it. I can't wait till the weekend. It's Monday, blah. Embrace every day. If you're alive, if you're breathing, if you're on this earth, if you're a child of God, God has a plan and purpose for this day. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And God has a purpose for your life. Grasp that. God has a plan. Second thing: be faithful to your calling. Be faithful to your calling. God has a calling for your life, and be faithful to it. What is my calling? Well, some of them are real simple. Some of you are married. Be faithful to your calling as a spouse. Your parents, be faithful to your calling as a parent. Uh, you've got grandparents, be faithful to them. You've got a job, be faithful to your job. Be honest, be hardworking, put in a good day's work. You're at school, give your best. You know, be kind to your teachers, be kind to the kids walking down the hall, even always you know, kind to you, but give your best that day. Then obviously we have a spiritual calling. Zachariah and Elizabeth had a calling. They had a calling as a couple, but he had a calling as a priest. He could have, there's 800 to 1,100 priests. He had to make a journey into the temple from the hill country. He could have said, you know what, they're not going to miss me. I'm a little sick, I'm a little old, They know it's a long way to go. I'll stay here, people will understand. But he stayed faithful to his calling, because if he doesn't go, he misses that visit. They, despite all the hurt and pain, continue to live a righteous and set-apart life. If they start compromising, start cutting corners, they're not the kind of people that God can use. So it's important to be faithful to your calling. If God's called you to be an encourager, if God has called you to be a teacher, if God has given you a gift with a certain area or age group or people, whatever it is God's called you to do, and you know what that is, embrace it and be faithful to it. Here's the third thing that we can learn by watching them. We can learn how to overcome disappointment and hurt. I've mentioned several times that they were dealing with disappointment and hurt. It was just part of that society. People were going to talk. They were going to gossip. They were going to make, you know, they were going to jump to conclusions about them. And they had to deal with that, and they had to deal with that for a long time. And in this life, Scripture tells us we're going to have trouble. I don't know. You know, sometimes we'll knock health, wealth, theology... We'll knock it, and then when something goes wrong, but God, you know, I love you. Why is this happening to me? I mean, if you look in Scripture, the disciples, none of them had an easy go. Most of them, life cut short, pretty tragic endings. John's on the island of Patmos. Stephen gets stoned. You know, Paul gets executed. In this life, we're going to have trouble. But just take those guys and how they dealt with it and the impact their lives have had. How many of you have you have been encouraged or blessed by somebody that's going through a disappointment, a hurt, a heartache, a death, a setback, a loss, but the way they've handled it has given you encouragement. The way they've handled it has pointed people towards Jesus Christ. So in this life, I promise, you're going to have disappointment and hurt, but because we have Jesus Christ, because we know he has a plan, because we know he has a calling on our lives, we can face it with hope, and we can handle it different than the world handles it that does not have hope. Here's the fourth thing we see with them serve with joy. Despite difficulties, despite getting old, despite not having a child, they continue to serve with joy. As I referenced earlier, you see it when, uh, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth in verse 39 and the joy that she had and saying, You know, why is my Savior's mother come to see me? We see when, uh, when Zechariah is able to open his mouth. Uh, and and rejoice about the coming. We see it in the song of Zechariah. They are people that aren't just serving out of routine and obligation and duty. They're serving out of joy. They're living out of joy. That's overflowing. And the reason they're still coming from the hill country and coming to serve those two weeks of the year It's because it's a joy, it's a privilege, it's a calling. We don't want to go through the motions. And you know because God blessed them and God raised them up. So whatever it is God's got you doing, it is so easy. It's so easy to get joyless. It's so easy to let the circumstances of this world get us down and beat us down. But let that hope of Jesus Christ that overcomes the world, where we've got a home in heaven, where we've got a purpose, let that come through and your words and your deeds and your actions and your thoughts. Here's the fifth thing. They were persistent in prayer. They were persistent in prayer. Now, I know he has his moment of doubt in the temple, but obviously that has been a persistent prayer in his life because the angel Gabriel uh, acknowledges it. Now, he probably acknowledges it because he's heard your prayers. Part of that prayer was, you know, he's praying for the restoration. He's praying for the repentance of the people in Israel. And then his son is going to be a part of bringing that about to happen. But he also, that just prayer as a father, you know, as a man, as a warning, a child, he hears that prayer and they're persistent in praying. And because of that, it's acknowledged. And I encourage you guys, whatever God's laid on your heart to pray for, be persistent in praying about it. God says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. He says, if, you're, if you ask for a fish, will you get a snake? If you ask for a rock? You know, a piece of bread, is God going to give you a rock? Be persistent in praying. Till God tells you to pray in another direction, till He takes you to the house, whatever it is, you be persistent in praying on what God has laid on your heart. Be faithful of that. In His time, in His time, maybe after you're gone, in His time, He'll answer that. But be persistent. Here's the sixth thing this is a big one. It's about righteous and blameless. Righteous and blameless. When they're described, they're described as righteous and blameless. One reason God's able to use them, able to raise them up as parents, is because they're righteous and blameless lives. Now, that doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. We all, no one can keep the law. They all make mistakes, but what it means is the best of their ability, they're trying to follow the Ten Commandments, they're trying to follow the law, and when they mess up, they fess up to God. They make it right. Just in this situation here, when he doubts and he gets rebuked for that doubt, you can see him repenting of that because obviously he believes, he puts his faith into action, there's a child, and he rejoices in that. So he makes it right. So to be righteous and blameless means to the best of your ability, you're trying to follow God, you're trying to honor him. And when you mess up, you don't start making excuses, you don't start putting off, but when God shows it to you, you deal with it. When God says, here's something we need to start, you start. When God says, here's something you need to put on the back burner, here's something you need to stop. When here's something you need to take to a new level, you do that. That's a righteous, and that's being perfect as your heavenly Father. We're obedient. And let's let's, let's go to some hard stuff that I'm glad I don't have to preach on, because sometimes you'll get a message on forgiveness, and there will be that person back there maybe many years ago that hurt you badly. And you kind of want to carve out a niche where I don't have to forgive that person. But there are no niches. Doesn't mean you have to go be buddies with them. Doesn't mean you have to say what they did was okay. But you got to let it go and you got to give it to God. Tithing, everybody's favorite sermon, okay? And we'll hear that message and we'll carve out all different ways where we get around this pre-tax, this, this, you know, gross net, can I deduct this? We'll do it like our income tax. Instead of, you know what, I'm just going to be faithful, I'm going to do what God calls me to do with that. It can be about service. It can be about kindness. It can be about gentleness. But to be righteous and blameless as we get to the point when God shows us something, we act on it. Here's the next thing: listen and obey. Listen and obey. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they heard God. They were in a position to hear. They weren't too busy. They heard. And when they heard, they acting on it. And so it's important that you guys be willing to hear from God. You got to make time every day to hear from God. You got to come on a weekly basis, corporate basis to hear from God, but hear from God and obey. They were given some real specifics about their future child. They said he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's not to drink wine or liquor. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to turn many sons of Israel back to God. He's a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's going to turn the fathers back to the children. He's given a, they're giving a whole lot of stuff which lets them know, we've got to do some real spiritual preparation in this young man's life. We've got to really be some prayer warriors about the parents we are and how we bring him up and how we raise him to help prepare him for God's calling. They heard from God, and they put that faith into action, which is evidenced by John the Baptist fulfilling his calling. And here's the last thing. They let go. They were willing, they understood that this child that we've been given is a gift from God. He's not ours. And they were willing to sacrifice him. They weren't going to say, you know, little John, you stay here close to home. And John, we got some other plant. They, this is your child, God. We're going to raise him up to honor you. And wherever you want him to go, we're going to let him go. And that's the way we've got to be in our lives. When God shows us something, when God gives us something, a message we got to be willing to let go to everything that's holding us back and be willing to follow him. That means some of you in here that are in high school or in college or young adults or married or even older, if God says go, and if that means go physically from this area, you got to be willing to go where God tells you to go. But, but, but you got to be willing to go. And if God says stay, but God, I so want to go. If God says stay, you got to be willing to stay. If there's something in your life that needs to be released, taken on you've got to be willing to release it you've got to be willing to take it on you've got to be willing to go and do and them letting John the Baptist go I mean eventually John was gonna preach some pretty hard stuff and that hard stuff was gonna get John in trouble and eventually lead to his death but God had brought him here he had brought him here for a purpose and they had to let him go fulfill that purpose And we have to let that do for those that God has entrusted into our lives and not hold them back. And we've got to be willing to do that in our own lives, to go wherever it is that God is telling us to go. So I hope this afternoon, I hope during Christmas season, you'll take a minute and you'll just go back, because it's easy, like I said, just to skip right over and we'll start in with the Mary stuff. And we forget about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Read their story. Read those verses, 5 through 25. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you watch them. Watch their lives. What does God want to teach you through their lives? Be reminded God's got a plan for your life. What is it? Are you listening? Are you following? Whatever he's entrusted to you with right now, are you following that? Are you being faithful to your calling as a friend, as a parent, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a worker, as a student? Are you being faithful to that? How are you dealing with disappointments and setbacks? Are you serving with joy? Would you be characterized as joy or somebody that sucks the life out of the room you go into? Do you persist in prayer? Are you a prayer warrior? God says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Are you getting on your knees and interceding for other people and with persistence? Are you seeking to live a set-apart life, a life that's holy and points people towards Christ? Do you listen, do you obey, and are you willing to go wherever God tells you to go? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and thank you for caring for us. And thank you for the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Father, help us not to glance it over, but to really look and examine at their faithfulness, at their service, at their love, at their sacrifice. And Father, then take that and allow your word to examine our hearts and our minds. Are we righteous and holy? Do we persist in prayer? Are we filled with joy? God, are we willing to go wherever you call us to go? Do we trust you have a plan for our lives? Father, help us during this time of Christmas when you have given the greatest gift to us that we would fall at your feet and say, God, I'm holding nothing back from you. My life is totally and completely yours. My mind, my heart, my body, my resources, my talents. God, it's all yours and I'm laying at your feet. What you want me to pick up, I'll pick up. What you want me to leave, I'll leave. Where you want me to go, I'll go. But, Father, help us to be open. And then, Father, today, if there's one here that's never received the gift of Jesus Christ, that doesn't know that joy, that peace, that hope, that can only come by placing our faith in Christ, trusting what you've done to take care of our sins, and saying, God, I give up, and I'm trusting and I want to follow you, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Father, we pray that today they will receive that gift and come to know the real joy and peace of Christmas. Whatever we need to do, Father, help us to have the courage to respond where we are at the altar or talking with someone. In your holy name we pray. Amen. If you would stand as Justin leads us and you deal with God ever how you need to deal with God.